Welcome back to the arena. This is part two of our conversation with Lang Martin, and uh, we're kind of building on the stuff we talked about in the first section. So hopefully it continues to be informative and interesting. Okay. What about anything else that you're just interested in right now that would be fun to highlight? You drove up on a motorcycle. I thought that was cool. Um, But yeah, any other like projects or trends or things that you're interested in? Um... I don't know. I think um, I guess I think that so I mean like the sort of the the thing about like the kind of ownership of businesses and where stuff goes a, a really interesting part of that is um, at the end of subspace my like stand up um, was with these two guys and one of them was in Croatia and the other one was in Brazil right wow. um, and so we kind of hung out every morning and stuff but when they when subspace broke up, they both got jobs um, at like pretty close to what I got, hmm. um, and so like whatever that factor is in Chattanooga is is more extreme in Sao Paulo, hmm. right? Because you got like the strength of the dollar working against you and stuff. I think that's super interesting. I think there's like we're like on the cusp of some really interesting pressure on global politics when you have a whole sort of slice of people who can suddenly make, you know, $170,000 us or whatever living in Brazil. Um, and, and that's, it's like, not only have us companies been relying on cheap labor, that's getting less cheap because they're all trying to get the same pool. Um, but it's, the the sort of idea of like California basically owning everybody kind of starts to rear its, yeah, its head yeah in terms of like it, like Brazil might turn into a remote working place mm. instead of a native tech environment and then you get that kind of like um, that kind of colonial economy mm. where like sure there's jobs but the ownership wealth is leaving um, and and it's not and that matters. It matters hugely. It's Is that like neocolonialism? Like it's, uh, yeah, the impacts kind of, or it, it looks more invisible, but it's it's pulling a lot of money and focus away from the local scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. I've heard Colombia, I've heard uh, you know several Eastern European countries, Romania, Ukraine traditionally, yep. uh, Brazil, yep. Argentina. It's yeah, the nearshoring thing, and then just offshoring seems like it's it's definitely trending and especially in this interim where the U S salaries and inflation rate has been so high and the level of entitlement of candidates has been like all time high. It's Uh, all, it's baseline high too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, man, I feel like we're going to have to do more episodes cause I've got so many things, (laughs) so many other fun things to ask you. Um, any any advice for recruiters? Because I imagine some people are curious about how to talk to someone like you, um, for how to how to enter those conversations. What information caught your eye about Subspace or HashiCorp that made you want to lean into the interview process? Um, I think the. Yeah. By the way, Kyle, are we? I don't want to go over for you. I could do this for hours. We could, we could also do like 
like I feel like I like sort of mentioned some stuff and didn't really explain what I meant. So like, okay. we could even maybe like do another bit and like splice them together. Or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like even for this one. For which whatever. which question? Um, well, I just I mentioned being able to rebuild the sort of like oh, learning yeah, community remotely, and that's just, like and like actually awesome. talking about how is more interesting yeah, than just yeah, like yeah. hand waving at it. Okay. Um, we can, I don't know. What's your What's your do we need to be done? I told you three. Uh, honor your time. Ten minutes. Okay. Thank you. Also, if you're able to just leave it on while you're doing that for the next five or ten minutes. Yeah. Whatever's good for you. Yeah. That would be in. That's the probably the most interesting thing to me yeah. too to dig in. Yeah, yeah. Like right. I feel like I got to answer that last question and then maybe talk about that other one. Okay. And then sort of circle what we back got. to it. Yeah. Cool. Um. Okay. Uh, oh yeah. So recruiters, I think the biggest, the biggest thing that, um, like everyone who's wired like me is, is like, just say all of the things up mm. front, like the, the immediate, like, I'm not willing to have this conversation is like, like all the people who text about trying to buy my house, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of like, Hey Maurice, is this you or whatever? <laughs> and it's like, like, no, like, I, I mean, just start with, Hey, I'd like to buy your house. Yeah. I'm hoping that you want to sell it for $90,000 or whatever. And then I can just be like, no, I don't. And then we're done. Hmm. Um, and I think, I think just like that level of, uh, like respect for my time by sort of taking the time to put like, you can do like top of the fold, bottom of the fold or whatever, but just like, um, and I think this is like, I think lots of people have said this, like, just like, tell me what the salary range is. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me what the title stuff looks like. Just kind of like front load all of the stuff and make it more of a, I think more of what it's supposed to be like, or like what it kind of claims to be of hmm. like, I'm letting you know about an opportunity instead of like selling you on an opportunity. Um, more informative than yeah. salesy. Yeah. And I think that's a trend in books too, right? Like more people are front loading the core thesis. Um, mm. And advice in the first well, you know, third of the book, and then the back half will be stories. Stories because and there, traditionally there's like we need to like tell all these stories yeah. to build the case, and uh, I think that's a, probably a good thing for recruiting. Like I do think good stories are the most sticky as humans. It's what you remember, sure. but you need that hook to know it's worth your time to listen to the story. Yeah, and uh, I do think that's changed. Like I'm sure there's more that's recruiters cool. leading with. Here's the job description. Here's the company. Here's the salary. Traditionally, it was like, you don't get any of that info. Right. Like, right. basically, let me try to say something semi-personalized or quippy enough to get you on the phone with me. Yeah. And I think even my wife was asking me about this for younger, um, like, yeah, younger millennials, Gen Z. She was like, do you feel like they just don't want to get on the phone? They'd prefer to text. And I was like, yes. Yeah, for sure. Phone calls you yeah. know, feel more intimidating for some reason. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I don't, I'm never sure what generation I'm in because like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like pretty old, but I spell Elder like, millennial. <laughs> yeah. But I like spend so much time on the internet Yeah, that, you know, like my son's trying to tell me about the memes. I'm like, no, no, you're using it wrong. Like, come on, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's great. Um, how old is Milo? He's 11. 11. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think the, um, 
the way that I find myself thinking about it is like the difference between getting information in a text and getting that same information from a phone call is that when I'm on the phone with a person, they have power to manipulate me mm. if they're more charismatic than I am. And they have the power that I might forget what they said. Hmm. Um, and so it like the I, burdens on you. To yeah. Take the like, notes I basically sure, like, yeah, I, what I perceive is a power difference that if they'll just like tell me what they mean in text, it sort of goes away and it doesn't mm. matter if I'm like less charismatic or whatever. Um, that's interesting. And I don't, I don't know if that's how like younger people are perceiving it, but that's how I feel about it. And I feel like I, my, my communication is influenced by all the same stuff that like Gen Z communication is influenced by. Like, mm. I, like I use all the same tools. I wonder so. yeah, if that's like, kind of one Not of those EQ, IQ, <laughs> EQ, IQ things. Uh, yeah, where some recruiters and salespeople that have the charisma, they might not even have a higher EQ. They might, but maybe it's just more so an ability to communicate persuasively. Right. That, uh, yeah, I don't like that either. When yeah. I get on and I feel that sense of like I'm being pushed down this funnel. Yeah. And I'm swimming upstream yeah. to, to <laughs> your, just to get out of it in the conversation. Um, people don't like to feel sold, I don't think. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay, that's helpful. So lead with, inf be informative, um, be direct about your ask, and and then hopefully be likable when you do get on a call because yeah. that is yeah, it matters a little bit. I don't I mean, think it definitely matters at some point. I don't know of any recruiter or headhunter that doesn't have to get on some type of verbal uh, call whether phone call or video call or whatever with the candidate to be able to actually submit them to the company. Like that's sure. part of the function that you verify sure. that they can talk well. Right. Right. Okay. And that they're a real person and not like real person. Yeah. Yes. Not getting catfish. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's helpful. Uh, would love to get circle back to the question. Actually, I didn't you know like. what? I bet even a follow up would be like, <laughs> if you like schedule the phone call, and then just go ahead and tell them the reason that you're doing it is that the company wants you to do a sanity check before mm. it goes through. It's like literally never occurred to me that that's why the phone call happens until right oh, now. A million percent. <laughs> and I um and it, and sometimes I'm like, why do I have to talk to this person? I'm not going to work with them. Like, what are we doing? Um, so I don't. I I think just like that's that would be my whole umbrella for. I mean, it's like for anything basically, but like power of the press, especially for that. Yeah. Okay. No, that's helpful. I, cause I think, yeah, we assume so much that people know what we're thinking or the yeah. reason, the why behind what we're doing just as people. So mm -hmm. I'm going to take that back to my team and let them know. Yeah. Explaining that over explaining may be yeah. helpful. Yeah. Okay. Uh, circling back to your, um, point about developing, uh, a, a sense, a remote culture that is dedicated to learning together. Yeah. And being a team that um, develops together, uh, don't let me put words in your mouth, but I would love to hear you unpack yeah. that a little more. Yeah, yeah, no, and actually, it's uh, like there's a little bit of a connection there too. I think. Um, cool. So I think, like, basically, it was like Ben asked me to come to Ben Marks asked me to come to um, Subspace, and one of the things he said was, I always found the community of people kind of from open table, like the sort of Chattanooga, like CS like mm -hmm. zone. Um, he's I, just super impressive people and he's tried to hire several of them. Um, you know, but he's like, it's just like a really impressive community. And it seems like it gelled in like a really cool way. And he was like, basically like, I want you to try to do that at subspace. Hmm. Um, 
And so I was like, okay, look, you know, pump the brakes. Those guys are also awesome. I was there for sure, but I don't know that I actually did anything. Mm-hmm. So like, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, there's a little bit of mystery to it. Um, but I think it started to happen again at subspace. So I've been like sort of trying to unpack like at least what the part of that, that I contributed. Um, because I think I did contribute a bit to, to kind of pulling that together. And so the remote thing, um, I think one of the big distinctions between, um, and we sort of briefly talked about this before we started, Mm -hmm. um, but the sort of distinction between like training and learning. And I think of it as kind of like, um, it's actually sort of almost like what liberal arts is about, um, is the idea of like slightly less disciplined learning, like with just like a slightly fuzzier kind of, um, uh, area that you're willing to study is actually kind of where you get new ideas from. Hmm. like a whole bunch of creativity comes from just like setting the thing down and getting different inputs. Hmm. And it's really like, um, at least, you know, in the history of computer science, like the whole, um, the original notion of object oriented code, um, which I I will take the traditional academic position that, uh, nobody actually does it that way. Hmm. Um, and, and what we actually do is kind of worse. But um, but the original notion of it was actually modeled very explicitly on um, cells, on biology. Um, and th- so there was like a kind of crossover inspiration from to, to kind of get these benefits that were like these biological benefits. Um, and that's what the objects were. They weren't, you know, philosophical objects and they weren't like category theory objects or whatever. They were they were biological ones. And that was kind of how they informed it. Um, how did that happen? Like, was that a biologist and a, a computer scientist talking? Do you know? I don't know. Um, this is like small talk era. So okay. this is like Xerox Park, And like, um, there's some super cool stuff written about it. Um, I know that one thing that they did that was really cool is like the kind of modern computer interface was invented there. Um, right before Park was shut down. Um, Xerox Park was always kind of one of these like hallmarks of like, look, companies can do real research. It turns out the government paid for it all. Um, ah, interesting. <laughs> and when the government funding went away, Xerox was like, eh, forget it. Um, but when they were sh- at Park, they were basically tasked with like figuring out what a graphical interface could look like. GUI. Yeah. And um, have you seen the Netflix explain documentary on coding? I think they might touch on it. It's only like 20 minutes, but mm. I thought it was an awesome overview, like flyby for the sure. people that are not as good at reading those books. Sure. Um, I think they mentioned some of this. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you'd have to mention Park um, because like Steve Jobs toured it and like the the original Macintosh is sort of suspiciously similar mm. to the Park um, like graphical interface. Unfortunately, the park stuff, the really, really cool part of it was not in there because Steve Jobs didn't get that part of it. So he kind of gave us the look of it. But the park system was like, um, it's actually a special key on the keyboard. And when you press the button, the window would flip around. And on the backside, the code was there. No way. And you That's could so you cool. could edit the code and flip it back around and begin running. And so their vision was like, you'd get like a really simple Macintosh and instead of like waiting for someone to develop Photoshop with 86,000 buttons, you would actually edit the crappy, like the built-in paint thing until it had just the parts of Photoshop that you wanted. And people would like be sharing code and stuff. So they actually had a vision that was a lot more like, we're going to like teach people how to be programmers. Wow. Um, when was this? 
In the sixties. The sixties. It's shocking. Oh, there's, yeah, there's a the hit the brief history of Park. There's like a this crappy scanned PDF, which is like, as far as I know, the only copy of this like major milestone in computer history floating around. Um, but yeah, it's I mean they it's seventy two I think was about when they pulled the plug on it. Okay. But in like nineteen sixty eight, they had like a laptop with a wireless network with a GUI running on it that was like programmable. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah I would have. So I thought early. you were about to say the nineties. No, I had no, no yeah. idea it was that early. Yeah, so early. Um, but they developed that like just with this kind of cross pollination thing. Um, I think two members of the park design team were Montessori kindergarten teachers. Mm. Right, because they were like. Teachers have some brilliance. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we really, yeah. But, but they were like, we want an environment where people are going to play around with stuff and learn. Yep. We should have not just the computer scientists, but we should have the people who have been thinking a lot about how to give people toys that teach them stuff. And would that be, could that tie back to like Jordan Peterson's always talking about the unstructured play and how important it is for kids? I feel like that's kind of what you're getting at with adults too. Like yeah, some of the unstructured play as an adult, maybe that's more domain specific that your interest is in, but being able to have the overlap in those interests and figure that out is where a lot of the magic happens. Yeah, I think so. I, I think I mean, that's Google's sort of done that, right? Didn't they have like the 20% rule where you had yeah. it? I don't know if that's still a thing, but I think it is still a thing. I think it's sort of, um, well, I, I, I've never worked there. I don't yeah. Know. I, I, but that idea, my, my like, understanding is that it, it can get a little kind of weird and political. Yeah. Okay. Right. It's but yeah, company. the unstructured play as an adult to explore how things are related in ways that we might not have yeah. expected. So tying that back, you think that's really important for teams to have a culture of ongoing learning and training, distinguished uh, training and learning again. Just I, like, I think like training is like, um, uh, you know, like sometimes there'll, ha- there'll be like a company learning channel or whatever. And the company learning channel will be full of like, uh, here's another algorithm for like routing on a network. This mm. is a subspace, right? Like, oh, network switch thing, uh, network, whatever, whatever. And it was all like very focused. It was right on target where it's like, I read an article that's like, you know, directly related to what we're doing here. And so we're going to have maybe this kind of like conversation about it or we'll have like a little Zoom call where someone reviews something, but it's like literally a product we might buy or, you know, it's all super focused, right? And shares a lot in common with the kind of training that would, you know, like at Walmart, whatever, where they teach you the cash register system, mm-hmm. um, where you're not trying, you don't care about the development of the person. You don't care about their creative output. You just want them to learn something that's like really focused. And I think engineers can kind of self-select that by wanting to be professional with each other. Hmm. So, you know, when I kind of rolled into subspace, I think there was a little bit of a culture of kind of trying to do some of this stuff. But I think one of the things that I brought in, and also Joe brought in a lot of this stuff. He was the guy hired right after me from Arizona. Okay. Um, but uh, one of the things that I sort of tried to contribute was just sort of like on day one, not being afraid to be a little bit unprofessional and be like, dude, check out this like crazy, like, um, it was like a zig compiler something where they'd done some crazy memory mapping, you know, like, and just like something that's like genuinely cool that has nothing directly to do with what we're doing. Um, but like, it's pretty hooky for just sort of like getting people sparking conversation. Yeah. 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 And I just, I think that that's sort of like, that's what makes that kind of learning environment fun for me is to have it be more eclectic and more kind of like, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be right on the nose. Um, hmm. And then a lot of times, like, 
um, I briefly mentioned I went to a, a strange loop talk mm-hmm. that taught me how to build my thing. So, you know, I was, I was working on this kind of end user programmable spreadsheet re- relative kind of, um, product, um, that has a lot of stuff that I kind of believe about like what interfaces should be like and, you know, and, and stuff that I've been thinking about for a long time, but the talk that actually got me over the hump of like figuring out how to implement it was about Miranda, which was this programming language that had a very weird compiler from the eighties that nobody uses anymore. Right. So it's like a guy's talking about like how this compiler was built, which has superficially nothing to do with what I'm doing. Hmm. Um, but that was where I got like the essential kind of insight to like figure out how to build my like web app basically. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's super cool. Um, and so I, I think that that's something that I've leaned on a ton in my career, but I think it's, I feel like what I saw, um, like, especially, um, with like, like Brandon was already a super good programmer when we joined the team and he's, um, I mean, he hasn't been working as long as I have cause he's a lot mm-hmm. younger than I'm. He's like 11 or something. Um, <laughs> what up, Brandon? Shout out. <laughs> I, think, I think he's actually like, I don't know, 20 something, I think. Still. Wow. Um, barely. Uh, but like, I feel like I sort of watched Brandon go from being like a super competent programmer in like into one that was like much more like he just like deepened the whole time we were working together in a super cool way. Hmm. Um, and I think that, that, that was sort of, I think that was kind of part of the, an artifact of just being in this environment. Um, I think also like when we hired Joe, like Joe was like just intimidatingly on it and like dumped all these papers and stuff and kind of became that, like that lead person that you're chasing. Yeah. Um, the pace setter. Yeah. yeah. And, and sort of like, I think kind of pulled everybody sort of forward in that direction. Um, but it was really interesting to kind of watch that happen remotely. Um, I think it was, what, what platforms are you using then? You said you had a learning channel, but like, are you guys chatting just on like, Slack? Yeah, it's just, just like, like, okay. So that was a, a fine, that was the medium for communication. Then it was just about changing the, uh, the strategy behind it, like have the hook, have space for non tactical conversations and tools. Yeah. Think, I think this is an interesting thing about covenant grads yeah. is there's such an emphasis on lower arts and then interdisciplinary studies, everything being connected, um, that you and I might naturally think that way, but yeah. a lot of more research driven universities don't. Yeah. And so, yeah. Well, and I have a history degree, right? So, you have a history degree. So I sort of like started kind of like screwy on this anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like it's like a very liberal arts understanding of what, what makes people insightful. And I think what I've seen is like, if you can just get the conversation rolling that direction, you get a lot more engagement because hmm. suddenly people are sort of like, oh, interesting. Actually, I'm also into ham radio. And now that I think about it, you know, like this sort of like oscilloscope thing that I was just thinking about is, is actually kind of has some interesting insight or is just cool for its own sake. Yeah. Um, that's given me some good, good food for thought for our team too. Cause yeah, yeah, we're trying to figure out some of that stuff. How do you build that culture where it's not just the founder, the leader that's driving, 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 but like it's everyone pushing, um, and bringing things that they think are cool that will spark ideas outside of just, here's the SOP that we get done. 
Yeah. So. And I, I mean, I've haven't seen it. I haven't seen it turn into a distraction. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I, f- I feel like surely someone out there is worried about like, Oh, this is going to turn into just like, now we're just talking about random. Stuff. But happy people are productive people, right? Like That's across what I keep the board. Seeing. So if, if that can bring a level of happiness, it probably, even if it takes away an hour of the day, that yeah. remaining I mean, seven that's, hours is probably more productive. That's the experience that I keep having. Like I like subspace. I feel like we spend a lot of time kind of just like chatting about stuff and like being interested in all sorts of kind of crazy stuff and like trying different things. We also wrote a ton of code mm. and a lot of it was really high quality and, and built like a really complex system with like 30 people in like a year. That's amazing. Um, and it 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 easily like if you were going to back the napkin that system you would never try to do it that way you would have like more people and more time it's a big napkin yeah yeah all right we're gonna have to do more episodes okay this was super fun yeah, let's do it. i really enjoy it thank you for coming on yeah so i didn't let you drink your whole coffee That's kept right. asking questions uh until next time lang yeah. appreciate you cool